Okay, please turn in your Bible to Mark chapter 11. And I've entitled this morning's message, we're going to be in verse 11 up through verse 18 or 19. It's Jesus when he cleaned house. How many of you clean house? No, I'm not. Should I ask? How many of you uh, want to take credit for cleaning house? You do a total spring cleaning or something like that. Anybody do that? You find out that there's a lot of dust. There's some stuff that needs to be cleansed out of your house. Am I the only one that watches some, my wife do that? Or does everybody? No, I help her sometimes. But listen, what happened last week is the precursor to what happens in our study this morning. Last week, Pastor Jason shared with us in Mark chapter 11, the first 11 verses, as Jesus entered Jerusalem for what we call the triumphal entry. The triumphal entry was the only time in the ministry of Jesus in which he endorsed his disciples declaring that he was the Messiah. They did so by repeating a prophetic phrase from the Psalms when Jesus came into town. And I've been on the road there in Jerusalem. I've been to Israel three times. I've been able to be on the road. And the the tour guide says, this is the road that Jesus was on the donkey coming in. And of course, it's got gravel rocks all over. And they say, you know, and these are the rocks that would have cried out if his disciples had remained silent. And then, of course, you got somebody selling those rocks, right? And then every couple of weeks, they replenish them and then sell them to us tourists. But here's the deal. This is the one time in the ministry of Jesus prior to his resurrection that he endorsed his disciples crying out, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. You see, when he came into Jerusalem and they're crying out, Hosanna, Hosanna, Hosanna. Basically, it's a way tantamount to saying, this is Messiah, and he's coming into his domain. And you go, wait, are you sure, Mick, he endorsed it? Because didn't he often tell people, hey, I healed you, the leper, the, 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 the demon-possessed guy, don't tell anybody, because people will start declaring I'm the Messiah. Yeah, he did that several times in his ministry, but at this one time, When they're crying out, Hosanna, Hosanna, in the book of Luke, it tells us, in Luke 19, it tells us that the Pharisees came to Jesus while he's on this colt coming into this this via into town and saying, tell your disciples to be quiet and rebuke them. And that's when Jesus said, I'm going to tell you the truth. If they are quiet, even these rocks would cry out in praise to God. He endorsed his followers, and there were thousands of them declaring that he's Messiah. This is the week that we we call it the start of Passion Week. It's the week that ends with Jesus having the Last Supper with his disciples, with Jesus going out to the Garden of Gethsemane, being arrested, being tried in what amounts to three different kangaroo courts, being sentenced quickly to death and then taken to Golgotha, Calvary, the place of the cross, a little hill outside the city and nailed to a cross. This is the beginning of that week. Isn't that amazing? This is the first time in the ministry of Jesus there's been a wide public response in Jerusalem, which was 
the, the chief place for the Jewish religion. This is Jewish Messiah. It was the exact time. If somebody wanted to, they could look in prophecy. In Daniel chapter 9, as Jason shared with us last week, this prophecy that after the, the, the edict to restore and rebuild the city of Jerusalem, there would be essentially 400 and, 490 years yet determined for the people of Israel, and there would be 483 years, and then a break, and then seven years later, the, the, the seven-year, what we call the seven-year tribulation period that will come, but after these 483 years to the very day, and as you look at the prophecy, as you look at the normal usage of the language of the prophecy, we can, dis- we can discern that what, what the, the prophet Daniel said in Babylon, as he looked forward, was it 483 years, Jewish year, 360 days, not 365 like ours, 360 days, which would be 173,880 days from the issuing of a decree to restore and rebuild Jerusalem until 173,880 days until Messiah is presented, until Messiah is declared. And that was the very day to the day of the triumphal entry of Jesus. Do you you think God knows what he's doing? Do you think God has time in his hands? Do you think God has your life in his hands? Or did he just do it back then and he's kind of dropped the ball? Guys, he's got your life, your days in his hands. He's got plans. He's got purposes for you that will be accomplished in nobody else. He's got you in his heart. His thoughts of you are more than the sand of the seashore. And he invites you to participate with him in bringing truth and a message that will bring salvation to this world. Guys, it's a privilege to be invited to be a part of Team Jesus. I hope you realize that. Anybody excited about that today? Okay. Now, I'm going to do an exercise to see how excited you can get. Okay? Pretend for a minute that you're back almost 2,000 years ago and you're part of the crowd that's convinced that Jesus is Messiah and here he comes on the donkey, little itty-bitty colt, probably dragging his feet. You know, Jason said that because Jason's a big, tall guy. I wouldn't be dragging my feet. Shoot, I'd be barely dragging my feet if I was on a German shepherd. But, so here's, but here's Jesus coming into town and what is the crowd chanting? Okay, Hosanna to the king. Hosanna to the king. What, come on, crowd, you're there. You're there. You're chanting. Let me hear it. The, the guys on the temple court can't hear you. Let me hear it again. That's what I'm talking about. That's what I'm talking about. You know, most of you guys get a lot more excited at a football game than you do at church. I was at two and a half football games this weekend. And there was some stuff to get excited about. I want to, I I just, this is not part of my sermon, but our local PV High clobbered Imperial Friday night. Am I right, Greg? Something like, yeah. And we got one of the, one of the coaches, part of the coaching staff is here with us. The guy with the messed up leg, he's dragging it around. He's the one to be dragging it on the ground with a colt. Yeah. But listen. There was a lot of cheering Friday night at the game. Some of you guys were there. And I'm wondering, why don't we get that excited in church? You know, we sing a song like, you know, there's no name other, no name as high as the name of Jesus. We ought to go to, yeah! You know, and it's, 
It's like the scripture says to come to the Lord with your words. Hosea says, bring your words of praise to the Lord. The book of the Psalms on many occasions, bring your song to the Lord. I love, what is it? Psalm, I think I've got it written down somewhere. Psalm 34. David writes, I will bless the Lord at, somebody help me, at all times. His praise will continually be in my mouth. My soul will make its boast in you, Lord. The humble will hear thereof and be glad. Oh, magnify the Lord with me. You know what magnify means? It means get loud. I, you know, these, these little cheerleaders. Yesterday I was watching the, the 10-year-olds play, you know, tackle football. Our grandson's playing in that and just going, go eight-year-old, go. You're going to learn a lot. And in a couple of years, you're going to be really whacking people. But anyway... As they're out there and you got these little girls that are eight, nine years old doing their little cheers. And I thought it was just so funny. It was cute. Don't get me wrong. It was cute. But these girls are going, rowdy, let's get a little rowdy. They got one that's called rowdy, you know. And it's like they're not looking very rowdy to me, you know. It's they're just looking really cute, really cute. And so when you come to church, hey, you can get rowdy for Jesus. Now, don't get out of order, it says in Roman, or, uh, 1 Corinthians 14, you know, what do you do when you gather together? It says do all kinds of things, lots of spiritual gifts, decently and in order, but do them. Get excited. If you want to clap along, do you realize that the scripture says in Psalm 100, I think, come before him with singing Psalm 134, behold, Bless ye the Lord, this is King James, all ye servants of the Lord, lift up your hands in the sanctuary and bless the Lord. Did you realize that the scripture calls and invites us to do that? And I know a lot of you are lifting your hands up at the football game. The guy scores, the ref goes, touchdown, and everybody goes, yay! You know, it's like, it's okay to yay, you might not want to yell yay, and the people behind you are going to go, what are you, you're making all kind of noise. They're going to look at you funny. I don't care if they look at you funny. Jesus loves to hear you celebrate. Yeah. Anyway, that's just a little bonus. The scripture says, bring your words. What was the word that they were saying as he came into Jerusalem on the back of a little colt? Hosanna. Bring your words, Hosea says, to praise him. Now, I'm not, I'm not validating the correctness of this information, but I just did a fun Google search yesterday, and I asked Google, what is the average number of words that are spoken by a human in a day? This is what Google says. It's not Mick. It's Google. It says that men speak about 7,000 words per day. Women speak about... This is Google. It's not Mick. <laughs> Women speak about... 20,000 words per day. And so, you know, it's funny, even right here, I've got a few men kind of shaking their heads, not saying anything, and women going, that's right, that's right, that's right, that's right. So they're adding up 10, 20 more words right there. You know, Guys are just saying nothing. Listen, of your 20,000, of your 7,000 words, how many of those words are, I will bless the Lord at all times, his praise will continually be in my mouth. Are you blessing the Lord? Is most of what you say... Is it a clear blessing to the Lord? Is it something that's honoring to him? Is it something that's making his face smile? Or do you think he ever looks at you and goes, oh, I just wish they would shut up. 
On Wednesday night at Sea Life, we've been talking about Ephesians chapter 5, where it talks about a true believer in Christ who's had a true experience with Jesus, who's had a true foundation laid of salvation, will not be a person of coarse language, of, of immoral jesting and stuff like that will not be a person of immorality. I mean, it's got this whole thing in Ephesians chapter 5. And here's my question. Has he got a hold of your tongue yet? Because if not, I want to tell you, he wants to get a hold of your tongue. If you're really saying that many words per day, people are listening. And if you're honoring the Lord with that many words per day, somebody's going to hear it. And somebody's going to grab hope. And there's going to be a chance for them to find Jesus. That's what I'm trying to say. These guys... Hosanna, Hosanna. Jesus is going, go for it, guys. He even rebukes the Pharisees who tried to rebuke him for not rebuking his disciples for yelling out Hosanna. Do you get the picture? Pretty excitement. A lot of excitement as Jesus comes into town. This is the week that started the most important week in redemptive history. This week ends with Jesus hanging on a cross and then raising from the dead. This week is the week that Jesus has been telling his disciples over and over in the Gospels. We're going to Jerusalem. I'm going to be rejected. I'm going to be mistreated. I'm going to be tortured at the hands of Gentiles. And then I will be killed by them. And then I will rise from the dead. This is the week. All right. With that in mind, he's now come into Jerusalem. Hosanna, Hosanna. There's a lot of excitement. Look at chapter 11 of Mark, starting at verse 11. And it says, Jesus entered Jerusalem. He came into the temple, which that probably means is he came into what's called the outer court of the temple. The outer court of the temple was somewhere around 15 acres. It was big. And after looking around, we're going to see what he found in the next few verses. But after looking around at everything, he left for Bethany with the twelve since it was already late. What Jesus did on that Sunday, that fateful Sunday we call the triumphal entry, he shows up in Jerusalem. Hosanna, Hosanna, Hosanna. Do you think that there was a big stir by the time he got to this, the, the out, outer court of the, gent or the temple? What's going on? And here he comes. And he says that he looks around. He sees what's going on. And then he takes and turns and heads to Bethany. Now, Bethany is where he spent the night. Bethany's about a 45 minute to an hour walk outside of first century Jerusalem. It's almost two miles away. Bethany is the home of Lazarus, who a few months earlier had died in Jesus raised him up from the dead. You remember Lazarus? Lazarus was so cool. Lazarus is the best example of how to give a testimony because, you know, all you had to do if you were Lazarus was show up somewhere and people would say, aren't you, guy that was, aren't you the guy that was dead? Yeah, and are, you're alive. Yeah, and what happened? Jesus. And that simple message ought to be the testimony that we have. People that knew us when we were crazy, chasing the world and chasing the things of the world. And now we've changed because we found Jesus. Aren't you the guy that used to go out partying all the time? Aren't you the guy that was a womanizer? Aren't you the guy that was 
you fill in the blank. What happened to you? And you know the best message that person can give? I found Jesus. I found Jesus. Well, tell me about it. Well, uh, maybe that's all I can say. Come and let Pastor Jason or Ken or Mick tell you about Jesus. But you live that you found Jesus. He stays in Bethany, probably at their home. We don't know for certain. And then the next morning, he comes back. Now, he comes back into Jerusalem and does what we call the cleansing of the temple. The next day, verse 12, when they had left Bethany. Now, watch what happens. This is just kind of an aside. And actually, given the time, I just want to read it to you and then tell you we'll talk about it next week. He comes out of Bethany and sees at a distance. He's, he's going to walk the two miles back into Jerusalem, walking the two miles, no doubt, not, the, not on the donkey. Seeing at a distance a fig tree in leaf, he thought, because when the leaf was present, that said to everybody that fruit is present. So he went to see if perhaps he would find anything on it. Why? Because the fig trees did not bud forth with leaves unless there was fruit, figs. That's just the way figs work. And when he came to it, he found nothing but leaves, for it was not the season for figs. The problem wasn't that it didn't have figs in a non-fig season, The problem was this tree was guilty of false advertising because when people saw that there is leaves filling the tree, that tells everybody the fruit is here. It just leaves and fruit came came together. We're going to find that this becomes a picture of the nation of Israel, that they are claiming to have a relationship with God, claiming to know and love the law, claiming to know and love God. However, they have no fruit of a relationship with God. All they've got is dry, dusty, legalistic religion. And so he says, as he finds nothing but leaves, he says to the tree, may no one ever eat fruit from you again. And the disciples... I like the way the Mark says, and the disciples were listening, because so many times it seems like the disciples just weren't listening real good. But they were listening. And what they're going to find later on in the chapter is they're going to pass this tree again. They're going to find that it's withered from the roots. We'll talk about that next week, but I will tell you today, that fig tree represented the Jewish leadership that had the truth, that tried to control everybody by religion and their legalistic standards, but their religion was empty, was vain, was heartless, and there was no love for God. They had what looked like, well, Jesus said, Isaiah wrote this, these words, and he was really talking about people like you, when he says, you honor me with your lips, but your heart is far from me. So what he's doing is giving them a picture of the curse that comes on religion that says a lot of the right things, but the heart of the religion is very, very wrong. Am I making sense? Do you follow me? Okay, so now let's get in to verse 13 or 15, where as this week, now I told you that this is the most important week in the redemptive history because Jesus ends up dying on a cross and rising from the dead at the end of the week or the beginning of the next, however you look at it. But this was a big week for Israel as well. 
This is a big week in which in these seven days that are going to pass, they are going to do, well, actually the 10 days or so that Jesus is jumping into, they are going to have what's called the Feast of the Unleavened Bread. The Feast of the Unleavened Bread starts with Passover, and then for seven days, they have no, they have bread that they've made with no yeast. Now, you guys know what yeast is, right? It's called leaven in Scripture. But this is the week where they prepared for Passover. They prepared for the Feast of Unleavened Bread. And there were specific preparations that had to be made. Essentially, there were two major things that all the Jewish people that were in town went about doing. Number one is they had to clean out their homes or motel rooms or wherever they were staying. They had to clean it out from any presence of leaven, of yeast at all. They had to do that, and then they had to get their sacrifice and then the last day before Passover, the sacrifices that they had obtained to slaughter on Passover night, a lamb to be slaughtered and, and then uh, eaten together as the family, that Passover lamb had to be examined and deemed and stamped worthy to be sacrificed. The priests were set up to take a look at the animals to make sure that they were, in the scripture it's called without spot. And without blemish. You've heard that phrase before, right? Right? Are you guys still with me? All right. Put your hands up in the air and pretend I just scored a touchdown. All right. Yeah, yeah. Okay, good. You're still awake. Okay, good. The, The priests were looking for only sacrifices without spot and blemish. Because it wasn't the worshiper that needed to be perfect. Listen, it was the sacrifice that needed to be perfect. The sacrifice is picturing Jesus and his sacrifice at the end of the week. But the priest would check out every single animal to make sure that it didn't have spot. That meant an inherited defect. And make sure it didn't have blemish. That meant an acquired defect. Say a lamb that was, was, was chewed on by a wolf or something and, and left some scar and some maiming. That would be an acquired defect. A, a lamb that was, that was born and that had some birth-related problems, that was a spot. A spot, a blemish, an, an, an inherited defect, an acquired defect. Because, see, in the scripture, Jesus is pictured as our Passover lamb. Behold, the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And though he was tempted in every way like us, guess what? He was without sin. The perfect sacrifice. He did not have the sin nature. I got news for you. All of you who were born of a natural mommy and daddy... How many of you have been born of a natural mommy and daddy in this earth? Yes, that's everybody. Guess what? You have something the Bible refers to fondly and affectionately as the sin nature. Jesus, born of a virgin without the seed of man. The seed of man, I'm sorry, guys, is what passes on the sin nature. Jesus born without the intervention of the seed of man, born of a miracle. The Holy Spirit will come upon you and that child that you have will be called the most high. And you know that Jesus born not of a man's involvement, but rather the Holy Spirit bringing a miraculous pregnancy to this woman called Mary. He did not have this in nature. No spot, no inherited defect. No blemish, no sin attained throughout his whole life. And during this week, 
All the Jews are all over the place trying to make sure their house is clean, no leaven, getting ready for the unleavened bread festival, and getting the sacrifice. Okay. So it says, I just want and keep that in mind because that's important of the timing of what Jesus now does. Verse 15, we're going to read that they came to Jerusalem. So this is after the, the fig tree had been cursed. They came to Jerusalem and he entered the temple. Now that's where he came to before. It's actual, actually the outer court of the temple that is supposed to be a place where even Gentiles can come. They're welcome to come, but they're, they're supposed to be there to pray. And what we're going to find out is it in the first century historian Josephus tells us under the direction of two high priests, Caiaphas and Annas, they set up the outer court of the temple much like, kind of like a swap meet. What they had is travelers, pilgrims coming from all over to Jerusalem. If you didn't want to drag your sacrifice animal with you, guess what? Good news the, the, the priests have made it so that you can buy an animal right here in the temple court. Yeah, it's going to cost you three or four times as much as the one that you would have bought. We're going to rip you off, but we got that for you. You don't have to have the trouble of bringing your animal with you. But the only thing is, if you want to buy an animal, uh, the good news is we got animals. The bad news is, is your money's no good here. Because all the people who were traveling had either Greek or Roman coins that had the insignia of the emperor or one of the Greek insignias on it, or one of the pictures of one of Alexander or somebody that, you know, if you're still using Greek coins. And in the, the temple, the way that the priests had set this up is you can't buy something, you can't buy a sacrifice if you're using a coin with somebody's image on it, because that would break the second commandment, a graven image. So they had to change their money to money, the shekel that was acceptable to be used for buying and selling in the temple courts. Are you following me? So they all had to change their money. And I got good news for you. Right there in the temple, in the temple courts, the priest had set up and ordained there to be money changers. Do you realize if you go to Israel today, it, you know, if you go to Mexico today, you, go, you have a, a casa de cambio, right? It's, if you've been there, it's cambio. It's, it means change, house of change. You can, you can get your money changed. You get dollars, you can get pesos, whatever, back and forth. Well, in Israel today, you know what their money changers are called on, their, on the signs in front of their doors? Money changers. So in case you weren't sure what Jesus is talking about, he's talking about the same kind of guys, changing money, changing euros, changing dollars to their local currency. But here's the good news is we got money changers. The bad news is we're going to charge you an exorbitant rate. So your 10 bucks, we're going to give you six or seven dollars worth of buying power with the temple, with the temple accepted coinage. You follow me? So they had this racket going on. It was horrible. And Jesus sees it. He sees that they are overcharging people for the money changing. They are overcharging people for sacrifice. And actually, Josephus says that Caiaphas and Josephus, in, as we would account for money and the change in times, that in today's money, 
Commentators say that Josephus' indication is that these guys, Annas and Caiaphas, were bringing in at least two to three million dollars every year on what they were making by all of this, let's gouge the people. Now, and we can't even imagine a situation where religious people would seek to gouge people and get their money, can we? My goodness, all you got to do is watch a few hours of Christian TV and you've got all kinds of invitations to send in money to somebody's ministry. And if you do, there's, there's promises that are, that are twisted biblical promises. Hey, can I tell you this? Because I'm talking about money. And that is, there's nothing wrong with money. There's a lot wrong with the love of money. Money is, in our culture, it's used. You can use it. You can own the money and you can use it or money can own you. And that's bad. The love of money, the apostle wrote, is the root of all sorts of evil. It is. It's greed. And the guys that have money, they they try to hedge it around so they don't lose it. Why? Because they love their money. The guys that don't have money, they want money. And so they're thinking about, everybody's thinking about money. Did you know that Jesus says you cannot serve God and mammon, which means money? It's okay to have money. It's not to be okay to be controlled by money. But here they were. They were ripping the people off. They were selling uh, sacrifices way overpriced. This is the second time in the ministry of Jesus that he's done this. The first time was right after his baptism. We see that in John chapter 2. This is the last time that he does this he cleanses the temple now everybody's just been crying out hosanna 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 and here's jesus showing up in this great crowded temple courtyard that's been turned into a marketplace and he says they came to jerusalem he entered the temple and began to drive out those who were buying and selling in the temple. It doesn't tell us exactly how, but back in John chapter 2, it says Jesus got some leather, leather pieces together and he formed a whip and he went around driving them out. I would say that Jesus coming to Jerusalem is making a big stir. Would you agree? He overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who were selling doves. Notice he didn't hurt the doves. He just or overturned the seats of those who were selling doves. He would not permit anyone to carry merchandise through the temple. That is the temple court. So this cleansing of the temple, it's no mistake, it's no coincidence that it is happening on the very day that the Jewish people are beginning their traditional cleansing of their house. Cleansing of their house, trying to find, can you imagine... In today's world, day one of this week, the mom in the Jewish household takes her broom and she's trying to go all through the house and sweep up leaven dust, yeast dust, which means bread. Now, I'm guessing that in some of your homes, you'd find some bread somewhere. Under, uh, you'd find either you're going to roll the bread here. One of your kids have half a Twinkie they left in their bedroom. You got a bunch of Cheerios that are underneath the uh, fridge that all of it had to be identified and had to be found. And so what the mom goes through, the first go through is mom. 
Then, after mom and dad have been pretty well convinced that the leaven's all been removed from the house, then they go get a few pieces of bread, up to 10 pieces of bread or some kind of something cooked with leaven. You know what leaven is, right? It's a bacteria that actually it interacts with sugar, and so it creates bubbles. It ferments the dough. That's why it rises, and, but it takes a while to rise. The Bible says that leaven is like a picture of sin. It's in there. You can't really see it, but give it time, and it secretly influences everything you do and think. That's sin, leaven. And here's a picture of you got to get the sin out. You got to get the leaven out. So what they would even do is mom and dad would hide up to 10 pieces of bread or something. And then they'd have the kids kind of see if they could find the leaven. They'd play games. Let's find the leaven. Let's get the leaven. It's like, oh, there's a roll over there. There's a Twinkie over there. There's a tortilla over here, you know. What are tortillas? They're not made with leaven, are they? Leaven would be good flatbread. Right? I could go with that. The, uh, so here they are cleaning the house. So while a lot of people in Jerusalem are cleaning their house out, Jesus is cleaning his daddy's house out. And the interesting thing is to clean the leaven out of the house, if the, if the firstborn son was of age after 12 or 13, that it was then his responsibility Once everybody said, all the leaven's out, you give it to the oldest son, the responsibility to do the final check through the house to make sure all the leaven is out. While they're doing that in their homes, Jesus is doing that in his father's temple. It's amazing. And this whole thing, we're going to find out that in the next days, while people in Israel who've brought their sacrifice from afar or whatever are getting their sacrifice examined. I mean, this is going to take us a few weeks to get through Mark chapters 11 through 16. But we're going to find out in those two or three days of examine the sacrifice, while that's happening, the Pharisees are coming and trying to trip up Jesus and examine him. It's just, it's so incredible the parallel between what's happening in this Jewish week of the, the Feast of Unleavened Breads and the prep for Passover and in the prep for Jesus for his sacrifice. It's, it's amazing. I, I'm, I, it kind of turns me on going through it. I, don't, I hope it doesn't bore you. But here Jesus comes into daddy's house. And he says in verse 17, he began to teach and say to them, it is, is it not written my house? He's the father's house. That's the quote he's making. My house shall be called a house of prayer for all the nations, but you have made it a robber's den. You've taken what was holy and you've added all this corruption to it. And it's time to get it out. Now, I realize that our time is running out. But here's a picture of Jesus while everybody else is cleaning their house out from symbols of sin, Jesus is seeking to clean his father's house out from sin. The scripture tells us, well, let me read it. 1 Corinthians chapter 5, in verse 6 through 8. This is the Apostle Paul writing to a very boastful church And they're boasting in the fact that they are so loving 
that they even allow somebody who's sleeping with his stepmom in sexual immorality, they allow him into the congregation because they love him. And the Apostle Paul is rebuking them, saying, this isn't love. And not only that, your boasting, he says in verse 6, is not good. Don't you know that a little leaven leavens the whole lump of dough? And isn't that true, man? You put a little bit of yeast in something, you, and then you let it rise, and it rises. All those, all those holes in bread that make bread so nice and spongy and everything, those are all those bacteria burps that create air while it's baking, and they're just, you know, they're air holes that come from leaven. That, don't you know that a little leaven leavens the whole lump of dough? And then he says to believers, clean out the old leaven. So that you may be a new lump, just as you are in fact unleavened. For Christ, our Passover has also been sacrificed. Therefore, let us celebrate the feast not with old leaven, but with the leaven, or not with the leaven of malice and wickedness, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. Paul uses this whole leaven thing as a picture. Guys, Christians, just like leaven in dough affects the whole thing. It kind of does it secretly. It penetrates all the way through. So sin will penetrate in your heart and pretty soon your life, you're going to be tolerating all kinds of sin in your life. You're going to be compromising. You're going to be just, oh, whatever. That's what the church of Corinth was. And Paul says, no, no, you've missed the boat. Coming to Jesus ought to make you pure, unleavened. That is no, no symbol of sin. Now, I just want to jump down to my conclusion that says uh, Jesus didn't just clear out the temple 2,000 years ago. He's into clearing out the temple today. And I want, I want you to hear something in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, 19. It says, guys, don't you know that you are the temple of the Holy Spirit. Your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. For you are bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body. That's what the Apostle Paul tells them. Look, you are the temple. If you know Jesus as your Savior, you are the temple of God. And I'm going to tell you, sometimes we allow, agree with me if I'm right, we allow some leaven, some sin, some corruption, some bitterness, some, some, some filthiness of mind and talk, some immorality, some lying, some, some unforgiveness. We allow some of those things into our life, don't we? Yeah, six of you people are saying, yeah, you are, you're the honest ones. Listen, we allow, we live in a world that's corrupt and sometimes we get influenced by that world. And here's what the Apostle Paul is saying, the same thing that Jesus did in the temple. Jesus loves you. You're the temple. You're the representative of God in this place, in this world. He wants to come in and cleanse your temple. Are you going to let him? Are you going to let him? Because if not, then the scripture calls into question whether you really know him. A lot of people are looking for fire insurance. They don't want to go to hell, so they want a savior. But there are a lot of people that are not interested in having Jesus as a Lord. And I've got a word for you. The scripture says it's a package deal. And if you're not willing to make him the Lord of your life, don't expect he's going to pull you into heaven. Okay? It's a warning in scripture. Uh, Ephesians 5 was a warning. We looked at it Wednesday night. If you are not willing to let God begin a work of purification in your heart and in the way you live, then that's a pretty clear indication that you, you need to hear a warning that you may not be his family at all. 
There, and that's what's called the leaven of the Pharisees. Jesus said, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees, which means I can do my religious thing, but inside I'm still just me and I haven't really let Jesus in. Guys, Jesus loves you so much. And he wants you, he invites you to be a representative of him in this corrupt and evil generation. But to do so, sometimes we got to get the leaven out. We got to get the sin out. And that's my question to you today. Are you willing to let... Jesus, the declared Messiah, come in and start cleaning that stuff out of your life. Let's pray. Lord, this morning we recognize that this scripture, not only is it historic and not only is it incredibly prophetic and, and, and synthesized with even Jewish history that pictures you, Jesus, but this scripture is incredibly personal. And Lord, I pray that for your family, for us who are your temple, who are a representation of your life on this earth. God, I pray that you would give us ears to hear and hearts that are willing to submit to your lordship. Lord, clean us like David prayed. Search me, O God, and see if there be any hurtful way, any evil way in me, and then cleanse me. Lord, I let go, and I embrace you as the Lord of my life. Guys, keep your head bowed, your eyes closed.